well regulated militia be necessary to the security of a free state? The right of the people to keep and bear arms shall not be infringed. Welcome to another edition of Bearing Arms, Cam and Company. My name is Cam Edwards. Glad that you're with us on the uh, program today. Almost as uh, happy that it is uh, flannel weather in Virginia once again. Yes, I'm, I'm, I'm happier that you're here. But the fact that it is no longer 90 degrees with 80% humidity, that is a, uh, yeah, that's another reason to be happy and smiling today. Hey, listen, on the uh, program coming up here in just a matter of moments, we're going to talk with Alan Gottlieb, uh, founder and uh, executive director of the Second Amendment Foundation. Over the weekend, hopefully you had the chance to uh, tune in and take part Uh, In the Gun Rights Policy Conference, this was all virtual this year. The uh, program originally scheduled to take place in Orlando, Florida, but because of uh, stupid COVID, uh, the entire thing online. Uh, We talked uh, last week on the program about the record-setting number of registrations for the Gun Rights Policy Conference. Thousands of individuals had signed up uh, ahead of time, and then uh, basically anybody uh, was able to watch the uh, events on Saturday and Sunday. There were more than 100 speakers throughout the uh, Second Amendment community. I was uh, uh, very pleased that I could take part in a panel on the media and the Second Amendment with my friends A.W.R. Hawkins of Breitbart and Stephen Gatowski of the Washington Free Beacon. Uh, I, I spent a lot of time talking about the uh, the fact-checking that's being done when it comes to gun control in the 2020 election and the thumb on the scale uh, in terms of Democrats. Basically, if a Democrat ever said in their lifetime, I support the Second Amendment, uh, those fact checkers see that as, well, look, they support the Second Amendment. Doesn't matter how many gun control bills that they've uh, uh, filed. Doesn't matter what they've uh, called for in terms of restricting our right to keep and bear arms. As long as they have mouthed support for the Second Amendment without ever defining what that support actually looks like, that's good enough for the uh, fact checkers. Uh, But that was just one of many panel discussions. And again, here to talk about the Gun Rights Policy Conference and uh, and hopefully what uh, gun owners have taken away from this amazing event, uh, Alan Gottlieb of the Second Amendment Foundation joined me. Take a look and a listen. Alan, thanks so much for coming on the program, sir. It's good talking with you today. Always a pleasure to be with you, Cam. And congratulations on a, a very successful gun rights policy conference. I know that, uh, you know, China and uh, Mother Nature threw us a curveball here with the COVID. This was the first event that this was entirely online. But, uh, I mean, this was just an amazing weekend for Second Amendment advocates. Congratulations. Well, thank you, but who really deserves the credit? And thank you for the over 300,000 people that participated online in the conference. Uh, it was absolutely amazing. Uh, it can be very difficult for us to ever go back and, and do it, you know, uh, in person now because the reach was so great. We were able to expand the agenda with 120 speakers, about 30% more content than we usually have. Uh, it was, it was, it was amazing and we still were able to interact personally a little bit because there's a number of Zoom chat rooms going on as well as chat on Facebook and on YouTube. So the bottom line is, is that I think we may have to stay virtual. We haven't made a final decision yet, but the reach was so great and, and it was so cool. You know, in particular, we brought in an international flavor to it too with speakers and people from the, you know, uh, New Zealand, Australia, Canada. England, uh, France, Germany, Italy. I mean, it was just amazing. You know, that is really incredible. And, and you know, you talk about, again, mm-hmm. the, the, the benefits to 
uh, doing this entirely remotely. Yes, you you do miss the the in person uh, visits and getting a chance to catch up with folks, but as you say, you know the 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 benefits of of being able to expand that reach and to bring in folks, frankly, to talk to who likely would not have been able to make the trip to Orlando had this been held in person. Uh, I mean, that really is incredible. And I think that gun owners, I'm so glad that there was that international flavor that you talked about because oftentimes, uh, I I worry that new gun owners in particular take our Second Amendment rights for granted and and they don't realize how easy it is for them to to disappear uh, if we're not active and engaged in, in protecting them each and every day. That is definitely true in some of the stories and examples given around the globe. I think uh, woke up a lot of Americans who watched it. So that was really one of the good takeaways. One of the other great takeaways was the fact that virtually every speaker referenced how important the upcoming elections are going to be. And that was really a good sign for the engagement of gun owners in the election cycle. That made me feel good to warm my heart as well. Absolutely. And, and you know, the Second Amendment Foundation, you all have the uh, Second Amendment First Responders uh, campaign that's underway now. Folks may have seen the uh, the television commercials, uh, but this is a great way to get involved at the grassroots level. We've got just a little more than a month before Election Day, but it's not too late to get involved. Uh, and if folks sign up and they become a, a Second Amendment first responder, I mean, they, they can make an impact in this election in November. They can because some of the training that they, they'll get between now and then is going to be, uh, you know, how in fact to help turn out the vote, how in fact to, you know, make your voice heard more and be a multiplier factor. So, uh, yeah, I think it's really important. Absolutely. And and this election is so critical. I mean, if we if gun owners didn't already realize this, if they hadn't you know, looked at Joe Biden's campaign plans and his gun ban and his magazine ban and the gun licensing and the universal background checks and the red flag laws and everything else, uh, we were reminded of this uh, with the passing of Ruth Bader Ginsburg on Friday. And now all of a sudden, uh, in the midst of this already critically important election, Alan, where we're talking about a Supreme Court confirmation fight, you've got Democrats who are threatening to pack the court uh, in the filibuster in the Senate. So it would only take 51 votes to ram through gun control legislation. I mean, there is so much at stake here in November. There really is. And I think uh, gun owners need to recognize that the opposition <clears throat> to whoever the nominee is going to be in the confirmation is based on a lot of things, one of which is there hatred of the Second Amendment to begin with, and they know if we get another judge on the Supreme Court, our Second Amendment will be cemented forever uh, at this juncture. So it's really, really, really important for gun owners to recognize these elections have impact and consequences, and our Second Amendment is entwined heavily with court decisions and a lot of legal case law. So it's critical and crucial that this nominee, uh, I'm sure, is going to be a Second Amendment supporter, an avid one. I'm sure that they get nominated and confirmed between now and whenever. Uh, I don't know if it happened before the election or right after the election, but I feel a whole lot better about it today than I did a few days ago. Yeah, why, why do you say that? Well, we had today uh, Mitt Romney come out and saying that he's will support the nominee uh, and that it's totally constitutional and legal for the sitting president you know, to uh, make the nomination and for the Senate to act on it. I think we have the 51 votes to confirm. Uh, you know, assuming that the nominee is who we think it's going to be, somebody somebody good on gun rights, as an example. Uh, and the Democrats can stall it a little bit, but I don't think there's much they can do to stop it right now. Uh, there's been two Republican defectors, but that, that's not enough to stop it, to derail it. So I feel a whole lot better about it today. I was worried about, quite frankly, losing Romney and then two other flies, the ointment, 
the Arizona Senate race. Uh, if that seat flips to the Democrats, uh, the winner can get seated immediately and not have to wait for the, the new Senate because the current holder is an appointment. Uh, and we also have the situation in Georgia <clears throat> where the winner has to have a majority, you know, 50, 50 plus percent plus one, uh, with third party candidates on the ballot. Nobody might get 50% of the vote, in which case it would go to runoff in next January. And so there were a couple of things there that were, you know, not tied down. Mm-hmm. I was a little concerned. I feel a lot better today. You know, you talk about the the, the critical nature of this appointment, uh, and it has been ten years since the uh, the Supreme Court agreed to hear a Second Amendment case, the the McDonald case. Uh, earlier this year, we saw them pass up on almost a dozen uh, Second Amendment cases that they had been holding in conference. In some cases, for over a year, there's a lot of speculation that. You know, Chief Justice Roberts, he's the, the fly in the ointment. Nobody uh, really knows if he's going to, you know, go along and, and uh, uh, side with the Second Amendment the way he did in Heller McDonald. But but having that that extra judge who can read the plain text of the Constitution, who can see the history and the tradition of the Second Amendment in the United States, as you say, this would cement the, the, the security of the Second Amendment. It wouldn't resolve every issue, uh, certainly, but, you know, the the... The opposite side of that coin is if Joe Biden wins in November, uh, if we do see a, a court packing, or even if you know Biden is just able to replace uh, you know pro gun justices with uh, anti gun justices over the course of his first term, we know that that those justices can obliterate uh, the Second Amendment from a legal perspective. That they can uh, uh, turn that uh, amendment into a dead letter and basically uh, you know say that uh, you, you, you we erred. Uh, uh, you know, back in 2008 with Heller, and you really don't have an individual right to keep and bear arms. Uh, everything that uh, you do in terms of your gun ownership has to come pre-approved by the government, uh, and we know what the Biden administration would do with that. Yeah, they turn our right into a privilege. There's no two ways about it, uh, and that's why it, it's, the confirmation of his nominee is to be so important, and the election is so important. This is probably one of the most critical times for Second Amendment rights in the United States. You know, what? what's your take on uh, Michael Bloomberg? Because he's not only playing at the federal level, uh, committed $100 million in the state of Florida to try to elect Joe Biden. But, uh, you know, I'm seeing these headlines pop up every day, uh, every town spending, you know, $2 million, uh, in the uh, state legislative races in Texas. They're dropping half a million dollars in Iowa, uh, dropping another uh, $1.2 million, I think, targeting uh, suburban races in uh, in Kentucky. They're not only trying to ensure that we've got uh, an anti-gun president, but they're trying to turn what have been, you know, in the past, pretty good states as far as protecting our Second Amendment rights. They're trying to turn those state legislatures into anti-gun bodies as well. No doubt about it. We've seen them do it in Washington and Oregon, uh, in, in Nevada. They're working on Arizona. They're working on Florida. Uh, this money, ha- ha- unfortunately, Bloomberg's billions of dollars is really having an impact. None of us, all the gun rights groups together, our budgets don't come anywhere near what he is spending against us. Yeah, absolutely. Which again speaks to that importance of of the real grassroots uh, efforts on the part of gun owners doing things like joining the uh, Second Amendment first responders. Because I think you know, as much money as Bloomberg has, I think the real grassroots energy is on our side. I had a piece at uh, Bearing Arms today talking about a vote in Albuquerque, New Mexico, uh, last night, where the uh, city council ended up rejecting uh, several local gun control ordinances. And one of the council members said we had uh, that she had. 600 emails from people who were opposing the measures. She had two emails from people who said, yeah, we want this gun control. Uh, so I think when well, it comes yeah, to the real grassroots, yeah, go ahead. Yeah, part of that, 
uh, got this beat happened because there's a threat of a lawsuit, a joint lawsuit from the Second Amendment Foundation and the National Rifle Association. Uh, and, and a lot, a lot of them just were a little leery about going to court and fighting us. Well, that's good. They should be because the, uh, coming, frankly, the state constitution in Mexico is pretty clear that localities do not have the authority, uh, to try to pass those gun control ordinances that they were, uh, proposing that the mayors, uh, try to put in place. But, uh, but again, you know, the, the, the gun owners were the ones who, who responded. It wasn't the Moms Demand Action. It wasn't the uh, Everytown Volunteers. It were the Second Amendment advocates who I'm sure in many cases were alerted to what was going on in Albuquerque by the Second Amendment Foundation, by the NRA, uh, and they responded and, and they reached out to their uh, uh, council members uh, and, and an overwhelming show of support for the Second Amendment there. Yeah, we, I mean, we, we, gun owners are really engaged right now at a level that I've never seen before. Uh, I think it's a peak level for involvement, and I'm, I'm really glad of that, proud of our people. Uh, they, we've gotten the message out and educated, you know, the, the gun-owning community about what their threats to their rights are, and, and they're responding perfectly. I'm really excited, and I think they're going to be the margin of difference in a significant number of, of, of election races all across the country November 3rd. I suspect that you are right. Uh, listen, Alan, again, always a pleasure talking with you, sir. Thank you very much, by the way, for the uh, invite uh, to take part in the Gun Rights Policy Conference. I had a great time, and it was an amazing event. Uh, can folks, if they didn't get a chance to watch all of it live, is this available on demand? Can they go back and watch some of those panel discussions? I'm glad you asked the question. Yes, they can go to sdf.org, and there's a link there. It's archived on YouTube. It's archived on Facebook. Uh, so, yes, by all means, people are still watching it. Uh, well, I'm hoping that maybe by the end of the year, we, our 300,000-plus number goes up to 400,000. I hope so as well. Alan Godley with the Second Amendment Foundation, thank you as always for your time, sir, and look forward to doing this again very soon. Appreciate uh, Alan joining us on the program. And, uh, again, if you missed any of the Gun Rights Policy Conference, uh, just go to saf.org. You can find the link there to watch any and all of the uh, discussions. And there were some really really great conversations and uh, some great panels. So I do encourage you to check it out if you didn't get a chance to watch all of it uh, over the course of the weekend. I know it's sometimes hard. I was busy doing yard work, so I, I have to go back and catch up with some of this stuff. But uh, again, all available for you online, and we'll be talking to you with Alan Gottlieb here in the very near future. Right now, let's get to today's Armed citizen story, our good deed of the day, and our recidivist report. We will start there with a, a story out of NBC Miami, where uh, this gentleman, uh, 27-year-old Justin Gonzalez, uh, facing charges after police say he fired a gun near the Miracle Mile in Coral Gables, Florida, over the weekend. He's now facing charges of discharging a firearm in public, improper exhibition of a firearm, as well as... Possession of a firearm by a convicted felon. Yep. Report said that a, a police officer on routine patrol heard five or six shots uh, just before one o'clock in the morning on Saturday in downtown Coral Gables. Saw a crowd of people then running. A security guard at a, a local restaurant told detectives that he had an argument with Jocelyn Gonzalez moments before the shots were fired. He said that he had refused uh, Gonzalez's entry into the closed bar. Short time later, that's when the uh, gunshots were heard. Uh, uh, officers say the uh, incident also caught on camera. Coral Gables police officer Christian Crispo says Mr. Gonzalez was seen via closed circuit TV, brandishing his fireman, shooting five or six shots in the alleyway. Now, according to police, Gonzalez has a prior criminal history, was actually on probation for aggravated stalking mm -hmm, and a, uh, 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 an injunction violation. So basically an order, order of protection had been taken out against him. 
He had already violated that order of protection. Uh, Gonzalez appeared in court on Monday. Check this out. Ordered held on just $10,000 bond, which I got to say, I mean, that's really, really low for somebody who is now accused of violating his probation, being a felon in possession of a firearm, and accused of, you know, using that firearm uh, in the uh, commission of a crime. So I wouldn't be surprised. Unfortunately, Mr. Gonzalez is soon back out on the streets. I'd love to say that I hope that he learns his lesson, and I do hope that he's learned his lesson. But I'm not confident that he's learned his lesson. Uh, All right, on to today's armed citizen story from Norman, Oklahoma, where a uh, armed employee ended up uh, defending themselves from a uh, would-be armed robber at a uh, Norman pharmacy. This happened uh, over the, I guess it was last week. Uh, Shortly after 4.20 last Wednesday afternoon, police responding to a a report of a shooting uh, at the Sooner Pharmacy in uh, Norman, Oklahoma, on West Lindsay, right near the uh, University of Oklahoma campus. Uh, when officers arrived, they found a man with a gunshot wound inside of the business, taken to a local hospital. Police said an initial investigation shows the man entered the pharmacy, armed with a firearm, was in the process of robbing it uh, when he was shot by one of the store employees. Only one shot fired. Nobody else was hurt. Uh, at last report, the investigation is ongoing, but uh, this would appear to be a pretty clear-cut case of self-defense. And I got to tell you, I mean, having covered armed citizen stories on a daily basis for going on over 15 years now, coming up on uh, 16, um, you don't really want to mess around with pharmacists. You really don't. I I, I know that uh, some individuals might think, oh, it's an easy score. You go in there, you can get the pain pills, you get out, uh, you know, no mess, no fuss. Nah, I wouldn't risk it. I mean, I wouldn't risk it anyway, but um, I think it's a bad idea because pharmacists know that they are a target. And I know a lot of pharmacists who are armed on the job uh, for their protection and the protection of their coworkers. Finally, today, our good deed of the day from Little Rock, Arkansas, where an officer in the right place at the right time to save a choking one-year-old child who was uh, unable to breathe because of a, a little bit of candy had gotten stuck in it. So this was Sunday evening, Officer James Phillips on patrol when he saw an SUV in front of him slamming on their brakes. Um, He got out, ran up to the SUV, and uh, then pulled a young, limp child out of the passenger side of that vehicle. According to police report, the uh, one-year-old child was choking on a piece of hard candy. He was limp for about 15 seconds or so, uh, but as Officer Phillips then began to perform the Heimlich maneuver, he started to move. He could eventually uh, breathe. He started crying, which is exactly what you want to hear in that situation. You want to hear that they're getting those deep breaths. They're getting that airway cleared. Uh, Phillips handed the child back to his parents. Officer left the child in good condition. Uh, In the dash cam footage, you can actually hear him say, I'm kind of freaked out. He says, I heimlicked it out of him and he started breathing. I'd be a little freaked out too. Uh, Your adrenaline's running at that point, right? I mean, you're, you're facing that situation. You're just on patrol. You go from like, not, you know, speeding-wise, but you go from zero to 60 in the span of a second. And, you know, all of a sudden now you're in that life-saving moment. Uh, Thankfully, Officer Phillips, in the right place at the right time, was willing and able to do the right thing. Uh, He's been with the Little Rock Police Department for uh, seven years. Uh, Normally a a Northwest Community Resource Officer is actually working as part of a weekend task force trying to cut down on violent crime uh, there in uh, Little Rock, Arkansas. But again, in the right place at the right time. To save a life, Officer James Phillips, we thank you, sir, for your very, very 
Good deed. That is all the time we've got for you on this edition of Bearing Arms Cam and Company. I want to thank you for being a part of the program as always. Don't forget, you can subscribe to Town Hall Media at YouTube, and that way you'll never miss a program. Uh, you can also subscribe uh, via Spotify, SoundCloud, Stitcher, however you get your podcast. If you just want the audio version of Bearing Arms Cam and Company, that way you can take us on the go. You don't have to be attached to your computer or your smartphone. You can just set it and listen as you're driving down the road. However you get the program, we certainly do appreciate it. Uh, we will be back tomorrow with more of the latest Second Amendment news and information. Don't forget to check out BearingArms.com throughout the day. I've got a, a story uh, more on that uh, vote in Albuquerque that uh, went down to defeat last night. That's good news for gun owners. Also a, a piece on the amateur authoritarians of Portland. Yeah, the uh, mob taking to the streets of residential neighborhoods. This is going to end badly. But uh, Portland Mayor Ted Wheeler seems unwilling or unable to do anything to try to stop it. Those stories and more at Bearing Arms. We'll be uh, updating the site throughout the day with more of the latest Second Amendment news and information from across the nation. Until we talk again, be well, be safe, be free. We'll see you soon with another edition of Bearing Arms, Cam and Company.